Welcome to another episode of Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. In fact, this is episode 29, and I am Jack Llewellyn. Thanks for joining me tonight, or whatever time it is when you're listening. So, last couple of weeks, we've done a lot of discussion about facts and the CIA and things, and I was planning on moving on. I was planning on talking about some of the things that have happened uh, this week in particular or the last couple weeks. Uh, hackers hacked into the defense ministry. Some really interesting developments with respect to that. Some interesting developments with intercartel violence in different places in Mexico. Um, there uh, were a couple of Instances of severed heads in coolers, um, which you can read about in my newsletter. And by the way, I didn't put it in the newsletter, but you can find pictures on the web. But be very careful if you go looking for them. But, but, as I was kind of preparing for this week, I had a couple of different people reach out to me. And in the interest of being fair and objective and um, and otherwise kind of above board, I'm not going to mention who these people were, but I had at least two people reach out to say, God, you're all wrong. You're all wrong. The, the last arc is right. Hector Boreas is right, and um, you really aren't paying attention. Okay, that's a pretty decent summary. And, and I'll be honest, um, you know, my ego in certain areas is pretty low. My ego in certain areas is probably reasonably high. And this particular area and this particular topic is far more the latter than the former. And I'll be honest again, in discussing the case and the issue and and the the writings in the last narc and the the docu series, I, I got a little testy. I said, you know what? I've been doing this a long time. I feel good about my research, my witnesses, my friends, and my review of the evidence. So I really thought about how to approach that and what to do with it. And I'm going to beg your indulgence today. Okay. We're going to go over some things that have come up in prior episodes. We're going to pull them all together because I want to strongly, categorically, and for one last damn time, refute one basic contention of almost everybody who wants to call into question the analysis the conclusions that have been made in these podcasts and in my book, 
and in books and um, documents by others, including but not limited to Elaine Shannon and Jaime Kirkendall. So again, if at any time during the next you know, 45 minutes or so you say, ah, you've already said that, I know that, and I apologize. All right, let's go back. Carl Quintero updates. There are none. It is quiet, quiet, quiet. As we know, there's kind of a stay on the extradition proceedings uh, in Mexico. Where that's going to go, nobody seems to know. Um, I think the vast majority of people still are um, dubious that he is going to be extradited. I do know, however, that those in the criminal justice system in the U.S., including the U.S. Attorney's Office and the DEA, are diligently working under the hypothesis, hope, or just in case he actually is extradited. So that's all proceeding. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about facts. We've talked about different things. I kind of wanted, before we got into the discussion of um, the witnesses and, and again, the things that people have tried to come back at me on, um, I, I looked at a number of law enforcement training programs and um, looked at kind of the idea of credibility. What does credibility mean? Who, who or who, you know, how do we decide who is credible? And, um, you know, found a, a couple of things that were really, really interesting. And I wanted to kind of share a few of them with you. Um, and, and I think it's important because I want to talk specifically as we get a little bit further about um, kind of the main witnesses that support Hector Boreas's theories. All right, and you've seen them in the last arc. We're primarily talking about Jorge Godoy, Renee Lopez Romero, and Ramon Lira. But one of the things I was was kind of just, you know, I, I was curious about was the whole idea of, um, you know, what does what is credibility? How do you decide when somebody's credible? There's a whole lot of, of things that we could go through and we could talk about with respect to credibility um, and and a long list of, of kind of patterns and things that people look at. Um, but rather than doing that, I thought we would just take a couple of key or core ideas and then move forward with them. So there's a, a training for prosecutors. Um, and and you can see the text online. It's from um, one of the <laughs> one of the states. And again, I'll, I'll, I don't want to attribute anything to them, so I'll be careful about how I phrase that. But It defines credibility in this way. 
and this is a quote, it says, as a whole, credibility is a consideration of whether the evidence is consistent with the probabilities affecting the case as a whole and shown to be in existence at the time. Okay. And I like that. Why? Because it gives it context. Credibility has to be in context. You have to look at the case as a whole. It goes on to say that, look, here's one approach, kind of a formula that you could use. You don't have to use, but you could use in evaluating credibility. So it says the formula you could follow would be, one, consider the testimony on a standalone basis and evaluate whether or not it is inherently believable. Okay? Makes sense. If somebody says something that's on its face incredible, you don't have to believe it. But then, if that is satisfied, consider the evidence's consistency with other evidences or other witnesses, I'm sorry, and most importantly, documentary evidence. Special consideration should be given to those witnesses who are independent. And then it says, finally, finally, consider which version of events is most consistent. Sorry. Which version of events is most consistent with the preponderance of probabilities which a practical and informed person would readily recognize as reasonable? Okay, read that really badly. I'm going to try it one more time. Finally, consider which version of events is most consistent with the preponderance of probabilities which a practical and informed person would readily recognize as reasonable. What's important about this discussion? I, You don't have to prove somebody's absolutely wrong or absolutely true. You look at the totality of evidence. You look at all the circumstances and you say, what would a reasonably informed person believe to be true? Why is this important? In response to my book and in response to these podcasts and in response to others who are dubious about um, the claims of, amongst others, Hector Berea's and the last narc, you get three very common responses. Three. And they all relate to the primary witnesses. Okay, Those three guys that you saw in the last narc walking away from the cemetery with the cross behind them, Godoy, Lopez, Romero, and Ramon Lira. Okay. Get three common refrains. One, there is no incentive for the witnesses to lie. Two, the witnesses have been consistent over time. 
And three, the witnesses were debriefed separately. Okay. Let's look at those for a second. Number one, there's no incentive for the witnesses to lie. People who advocate this will say they signed documents that said if they're ever caught lying, all deals are off. They can be prosecuted. They can be jailed. And people hold that up. I've had dozens of people online say they would never lie because if they did, they would go to jail. <laughs> but the response is they'd only go to jail if anybody prosecuted them. And who's going to prosecute them? Is the U.S. government going to stand up and say Godoy and Lopez were lying when they testified against when they testified against um, Ruben Zunarse? Of course not. Is the government ever going to say we put on false testimony? Hector Bereas and Manny Madrano and John Carlton somehow were either complicit or snookered by these guys and put on false testimony? Of course they're not going to do that. And moreover, you have guys that admit, and I'm going to mention this in a little bit, but admit at trial that their lives were in danger their lives were in danger if they stayed in Mexico. Of course they came to the U.S. Of course they said things. There was absolutely an incentive for them to lie. There was incentive for them to say whatever the government wanted them to say. And remember... We'll talk about this again in just a second, but remember, they were all brought to the U.S. by Garate Bustamante, who damn well knew how to coach the witnesses, or at a minimum, how to guide the witnesses' testimony to something that the government wanted to receive. We're going to talk about this in great deal in just a minute. The other thing that comes up is the witnesses have been consistent over time. Of course, you have to believe them. They've said the same thing over and over, and that, frankly, is bull. It's not true. It's not even close to true. Now, one of the things we've talked about before, and I want to make this clear, Godoy and Lopez in particular and in Lira too, but they were around the traffickers. They were around Fonseca. They were around, to a lesser extent, Carl Quintero, and maybe even Felix Gallardo. So some of what they say is going to be true. A lot of what they say is going to make sense, because they were there. But the fact that they're right about some things doesn't mean they're not lying about other things. And when you break down their testimony, when you break down their statements, and most importantly, when you break down what they've said on the last arc, then you see the lies. Then you see the falsehoods. And then the other comment that comes back a lot is, oh, 
they were debriefed separately and they said the same thing. Number one, again, they were all there. So some of the stuff they say is, of course, going to be the same. Number two, they were both brought to the United States by Garate Bustamante. Even if you believe, which I don't for a second, but even if you believe they were um, interviewed separately and, and there was rigorous, you know, isolation of the two when Bereas interviewed them and then Madrano and Carlton interviewed them. The notion that they were not coached, prepped, however you want to say it, in Mexico by Garante and others before they got to the U.S., nobody addresses that. And yet we know it's true. We know where they came from. The other thing that's interesting, and and I'll talk about this at the end, but what people forget too is what about all the people that Garate offered up to the prosecution who didn't support their case, who didn't support their theories? We don't know who they are, where they are, how much money they got, nothing, nothing like that. So to stand up and say, oh, the witnesses didn't had no incentive to lie. They were always consistent. They were debriefed separately. It's just not true. And it certainly doesn't prove that what they were saying was correct. All right. Now, here's where we're going to get to some of the stuff that's come up before. And I apologize if anybody thinks it's repetitive, but I think it's so important in this context. Again, I'm I'm one who's going to say, I think they're lying. I think Godoy is lying. I think Lopez Romero is lying. I think Ramon Lira is lying. I think they're lying because I was a defense attorney in 1990 and 1992 for Rubens and Arce. I was involved in follow-up investigations of these two after the fact. And because in the last several years, I've researched this a lot. (laughs) And I think they're lying. But I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to give you specifics. I'm not just going to say, well, they've, you know, they were interviewed separately and I've talked to them and they say the same thing. So let's let's think about this. Now, the first thing that's important is to realize when they came up. So remember, 1990, Rumenzuno Arce, Theros, and others are on trial. Who is the primary witness against Ruben Zunoarce in particular in that case. Hector Cervantes Santos. Is there Jorge Godoy? No, there's not. Does Rene Lopez Romero testify? No, he doesn't. Are either of their names even mentioned? Nope. No Ramon Lara either. So the trial ends and the case gets remitted. Uh, Judge Rafiti orders a new trial based on um, some statements made by the prosecution in closing arguments. Okay, it's probably the fairest way to put it. 
case goes up to the Ninth Circuit. For the first time ever, Jorge Godoy is interviewed by the by the DEA in Los Angeles in August of 1991. Remember, the first trial of Zuno was 1990. The Verdugo trial in San Diego was actually before that. So after two trials, all of a sudden, this witness appears. Garate presents him. And he has meetings um, with the DEA through September and October of 1991. Okay. Remember, remember, it's really important, timing-wise. Um, the Ninth Circuit affirmed the new trial order in March, actually March 27, 1992. The new trial order was early in 1991. So, new trial order issued well before Godoy is ever, ever, ever interviewed by the DA. So he shows up August 30, 1991. It's the first DA 6. Talks through October 1990. Talks about the conspiracy, talks about people who are involved, all kinds of stuff. Never, ever says, hey, Ruben Zuno, he was involved in the conspiracy, he was in meetings, etc., etc. Now, you may say, so what? He didn't mention Zuno, but, 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 he does say, hey, as I'm going through this, these photographs you have for me, I recognize Ruben Zuno. Everybody knows him in Jalisco. He's very well known. Says he's known, says he recognizes him, does not tie him to the conspiracy in any way. So, March 27, 1992, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals says, yep, new trial for Ruben Zuno Arce. April 7, 1992, there's a gap between October of 1991, April 7, 1992, no record of any interviews with Godoy. So that's two weeks after the affirmance, and Godoy says, oh, by the way, Zuna was at all these conspiracy meetings. Hey. The timing is preposterous. And again, I'm not giving you hypotheses. I'm giving you facts. October 1991, he says nothing about Zuno being in any way involved in conspiracy. Two weeks after the Ninth Circuit, of, Ninth Circuit affirms the new trial order. All of a sudden, he remembers. Keep in mind, folks, that Hector Boreas 
signed off on and or conducted every single one of these Godoy interviews. And Lopez Romero is the exact same way. And that's important. Okay? The fact that it's so important and that there's a connection. Again, if you're looking at credibility, look at the facts, put them all together. Lopez didn't start talking to the DEA until apparently about March of 1992, but it was before, before the Ninth Circuit Affirmance. And if you look at the documents, and I'll put them on my website, okay, they're there. I'll highlight them for you. Because anybody who thinks I'm making this up is just wrong. In his initial interviews with the DEA, Lopez does not say anything about Ruben Zuno Arce being involved in any conspiracy. He only starts to talk about it after the Ninth Circuit ruled in favor of a new trial for Ruben Zuno Arce. And that's when he starts to talk about it. What's my point here? When you say these guys had no incentive to lie, of course they did. Both of them will tell you they were in fear of their lives if they had stayed in Mexico. And the evidence, just the simple timeline, leads a reasonable person to say, we have to, at a minimum, at a minimum, have some real dubious thoughts about whether or not these are accurate statements, okay? Now let's talk about just basic character evidence because if you're trying to assess credibility, you have to look at character, right? So let's look at Jorge Godoy. Uh, He joined the Jalisco State Police in March of 1979 He was caught drunk on duty in 1981, uh, transferred to San Juan de los Lagos, which was a rural place, not nearly as good of a position. And so in response, he quit. But he comes back in 1983, apparently getting into the, the police force in Mexico and Guadalajara and that area in, uh, the early 80s wasn't very difficult. But um, he admits that in 1984, he and several other officers, officers sorry, raided a ranch and seized a large quantity of cocaine, marijuana, sold it, made money from it, profited from it. In about 1984, he began uh, providing security for Fonseca. While he was still a police officer, he later quit and went to work full-time for Fonseca. Um, He watched Fonseca torture and kill a man while he was still a police officer, did nothing about it. He testified that he was present at La Langosta, when Walker and Radelat were murdered. There are affidavits, statements, 
and the like from a number of people in his hometown that say basically he was a dishonest troublemaker. On July 23, 1991, remember the timing, 1991, that was after he came to the United States. That's after he's providing testimony. That's after he was helping out Bereas and Madrano in their prosecution. Godoy and another man robbed a gas station in San Diego with an Uzi and were arrested. Godoy basically confessed to these um, but through a whole series of events, wasn't actually convicted, but he was involved. Again, as I mentioned earlier, he testified in the Zuno trial, Zuno number two, that he was fearful of his life if he had stayed in Mexico. While assisting in the case against Zuno, and otherwise helping the government, he received at least $3,000 a month, but we don't know for how long. Um, but we do know he's still in the United States. And then if you just want to talk about credibility, remember we said earlier that you know one of the things government officials, prosecutors talk about is just, you know, the preponderance of the evidence and some of it's just looking at the person. Has anybody watched The Last Narc? I want to know the first person who watched The Last Narc, watched Jorge Godoy and said, that is a reasonable and sensible gentleman, and I would believe anything he said. Because it's not true. To the contrary, he was batshit crazy, and everybody knows it. Okay. There is no way, if you're just talking about pure credibility, and we're going to move on, that Godoy supports the argument that, oh, they had nothing to lose. Of course, they wouldn't tell the, you know, they wouldn't lie. The same is true with Rene Lopez Romero. And I'll admit, in, in the last arc, he comes off a lot better. But the fact that he's better on camera. After who knows how many takes. After who knows how many rehearsals. The fact that he comes across better than Godoy doesn't mean anything. All right, what do we know? We know for sure that he was, he being Lopez Romero, was a Jalisco State Police officer from about 1979-1984. We know from his own testimony that he was dishonest. That he took bribes and, and things of that nature. We know he met Fonseca in September of 1984. He has admitted to being involved in the capture and te- torture of a man and woman who had bothered Fonseca's wife. He's admitted to being involved in the torture and murder of the missionaries. He has admitted, whether it's true or not, and I have very distinct thoughts on that, which we're going to get into a little bit later. I, I, but Lopez Romero says, I was involved in the actual kidnapping of Agent Camarena. We also know, and we talked about this before, that he had a domestic violence charge against him 
during trial that got dismissed only after Hector Boreas intervened on his behalf. We know that he received immunity. We know that he got at least 3000 a month. And at the time of his trial, the time of the Zuno trial in 1992, had received $30,000, at least $30,000. We also know that he lives in Las Vegas someplace. Now, what do people who support the idea that there are good and honest and upstanding folks say, oh, but he sleeps with a gun under his pillow at night. Big freaking deal. He'd be dead if he was in Mexico. He's getting money. The fact that he's afraid means nothing in my mind. Has nothing to do with his credibility. Nothing at all. By the way, one of the people who contacted me this week referred to Godoy and Lopez as Sicarios, which I thought was hysterical. If you listen to their testimony, you read the DA6s, they were at best lackey bodyguards who stood around and did things. So, we're talking about character. Number one, you look at the timing of Godoy and Lopez in reference to the Zuno trials and appeal, and you have to have suspicions. You have to have doubts. Then if you just look at basic character, somebody stand, you know, picture yourself in a jury looking at these guys and wondering, are they telling the truth? And if you knew everything about them, everything we've gone through about Godoy and Lopez, they have no credibility. Okay? But here's what's most important. And I'm just going to give you a few examples. The argument is they never changed their testimony. And that is complete and utter nonsense. They changed their testimony over and over and over and over again. We've talked at length about the discrepancies between Godoy and Lopez. And then if you want to add in Cervantes Santos, who was also proffered by the government and supported by Hector Breas. If you want to look at Placencia Aguilar, who also was proffered by the government, supported by Agent Boreas. If we just look at the conspiracy meetings, the amount of discrepancies, and again, we've, we've talked about that at nauseum. I'm not going to bore you with it, but they are not consistent. None of them. It's simply not true. But I'm going to give you some great, great examples. I think I'm, I've got four. I've got oh, five. I'm going to give you five. I'm going to give you five really good examples of where they've changed their testimony over time. And I'm going to include, in particular, because it's important, what they said in the last NARC. So let's talk about La Langosta. One of the really funny, okay, ironic, as maybe, as opposed to funny, Things in the last arc 
is how all of a sudden El Chapo is important. If you go through the trials, there's nothing about El Chapo. Nothing, nothing. Go through the DEA-6s. Nothing about El Chapo. Suddenly, they want to talk about him in the the last narc. Why? Because El Chapo's famous now. That's all it is. So in the last narc, with respect to Lalan Ghost after Messrs. Walker and Radlot enter, they say El Chapo yelled, they are DEA. Interesting. Did anybody else ever say that? DA sixes with Lyra say that Ra- that um, Lyra says Rafa yelled, "They are DEA." Godoy testified at trial, and he said Sammy yelled, "They're DEA." And again, go through all the transcripts. Look at every transcript in both trials, both Zuno trials. You don't hear anything about El Chapo. Complete and total inconsistency. Their stories do change. Why do they change? Why do they continue to change? Because they still need notoriety. All right. If you keep saying the same thing, nobody's going to put you on TV. Nobody's going to put you in a docuseries produced and paid for by Amazon Prime. Nobody like Taylor Russell is going to want to put you on camera unless you say something new. And the new is El Chapo. There's more. There's more even about La Langosta. Lyra said in 1992, I was there. Godoy was there too. Talking about La Langosta. Godoy testified at trial. I was there. Lyra wasn't there. And then on cross-examination, Ed Medvin cross-examining him. In December 1992, Godoy says, I wasn't there. I didn't work for Fonseca at that time. Tell me again that their stories don't change. Tell me again that they're all consistent. And again, we're not talking about nitpicky details. Either Godoy and Lyra were there or one of them wasn't. It's not that hard. Then let's look at the conspiracy meetings. And I've told you, we, uh, I, I've got charts. I've got all kinds of stuff. We could go on this for forever. Placentia Aguilar... Cervantes Santos, Godoy, and Lopez, they're all over the place on conspiracy meetings. When they occurred, who was there, why they occurred, what they talked about, whether they knew who Camarena was or didn't, all over the place. But let's look at just one little statement from Jorge Godoy. He testified in direct examination. I'm going to quote. First meeting was in October, November 1984. They were talking about a DE agent who makes them troubles and refused their bribe. 
Second meeting was in November, December 1984. They were talking about they can't find out which agent makes them problems. Third meeting was again in November, December. Fourth meeting was one week later. Put aside for the moment that internally that is inconsistent. But then on cross-examination, what does he say? I wasn't working for Ernesto Fonseca between November 1984 and February 1985 because of my medical problems. I left Guadalajara. Yes, yes, their stories do change. They changed in the trial. They've changed after the trial. And by God, they're going to continue to change because, again, that's the only way they get on social media. It's the only way they get on podcasts or YouTube or something else. Now let's look at the kidnapping. This is really good. This is just so easy. So, in the last arc, what does Lyra say? I saw Jaime Kirkendall many times when I was in a car waiting to kidnap Camarena. Fonseca told me that Jaime Kirkendall would tell us who is Camarena. Ramon Lyra says in 1992, no, I didn't see any American there. Lopez testifies at trial. Lyra wasn't part of a kidnapping team. And then he says, this again is Lopez. I was there waiting to kidnap Camarena. We were all waiting on a signal of Rene Verdugo because he knew Camarena. And when some some man left the U.S. consulate, Verdugo said, it's him. Gosh, that's really interesting. It was Rene Verdugo, but he also says Lyra wasn't part of anything, and Lyra says, oh, I was there waiting to kidnap Camarena. But, 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 what did Lyra say, or Lopez, I'm sorry, what did Lopez Romero say in 1992? He says, and I quote, I was there waiting to kidnap Camarena. We were all waiting on a signal of an employee of the U.S. consulate because he knew Camarena. And when some man left the U.S. consulate, the employee of the U.S. consulate said, it's him. Now, you tell me, how can any reasonable person say that those statements are consistent? It either was Kirkendall or it was Verdugo or it was a consulate employee. We don't know. These guys are making stuff up as they go. That is a reasonable conclusion. It's one thing to say in 1992, oh, it was a consulate employee. Bear in mind, the government never even offered who that consulate employee was. You would think if anybody wanted to stay, we know who it is. Here's who it was. Remember, they said it was a blonde consulate employee. It would not have been hard to figure out who that could have been. Did they do that? No, never presented that. And then we wait. We go 28 years later, and mystically, magically, it's Rene Verdugo, who, by the way, 
disputes that for all the obvious reasons. Wasn't Rene Verdugo? <laughs> That's preposterous. Everybody knows that. This is just another example of them making things up. Here's the last one I want to point out. And then I'll I'll spare you from further diatribes. Felix Rodriguez. What do both Godoy and Lopez Romero say in the last arc? Oh, yeah. We saw this Cuban. Saw him a couple different times. Gave money to Fonseca. May have gotten money from Fonseca. And then they go further. Remember, then it keeps adding. Ooh, he also was at Lope de Vega. Then it becomes, he was the one who brought the tape recorder. It wasn't just he brought the tape recorder and talked to Carl Quintero and, and the group, but he was actually interrogating Camarena. Then it goes to, he wasn't just interrogating Camarena. He actually like roughed him up some. Then he left. And by the way, remember, they say he showed up with a couple of Cuban bodyguards. So then I want you to think about the DEA 6 reports that I talked about. Remember, Doy shows up in August of 91. He gives a, a series of statements, several DEA 6 reports talking about what he was divulging. Lopez Romero shows up in April of uh, 1992, and there's a DA6, so I think it's 14 pages long, something about that. Talks about lots of things. Who was there? Who said what? How everything happened? How the kidnapping occurred? All of that. You know what's missing from either of these guys' story? One reference to a Cuban. Okay? Somebody who would have stood out, a Cuban that nobody knows, shows up at Love to Vega, gives him a tape recorder, interviews Camarena, slaps him around, leaves with his Cuban bodyguards, and nobody mentions it for years. To say that defies credulity is an insult. Nobody in their right mind would believe that. And nobody in their right mind would say, you have to believe Godoy and Lopez because they never changed their testimony. They've never changed their position over time. Bullshit. They've done it over and over and over again. They do it every single time it serves their purpose. Or the purpose of Hector Breyes and or Manny Madrano, in which case they all get together and move on forward. There is nothing about Jorge Godoy or Rene Lopez Romero that earns your respect, that earns your trust, that demonstrates credibility. They are self-serving liars who have the benefit of having been around enough 
to be able to trade upon that knowledge, to trade upon those connections, to secure a life in the United States with money and with continued money going forward because of what they say, when they say it, and when they're told to say it. They fear for their lives now. That's fine. But by God, it was a good trade opportunity what they would have had in Mexico. Don't tell me. And again, those of you who've called me in the last couple of weeks and want to say they're, they've told the truth, they're not liars. Bring it on. Because I can prove point by point by what we talked about tonight and dozens. And when I say dozens, I mean dozens of other examples of where they're not consistent, where they don't tell the truth, where they don't tell the same story. Okay. Got a little wound up there. This is personal to me. Folks, I've admitted, and, and, and you know, I, I know a lot of who my audience is, and, and I respect all of you. And I know there are some people who were less than excited about my defense of Ruben Zunorar saying, if you want to call it that, or at least the discussion of him. But at least I'm, I'm honest, I'm candid, I'm upfront. But I've spent a lot of time working on this. I've talked to a lot of people. I've met some really, really good people. I've delved into the documents. And for people to cast aspersions on me, my intelligence, my ethics... If you're going to do that, you better come at me with something better than these guys have no incentive to lie and they've always maintained consistent stories because it's just not true. And I'll go back to what I've said. I've said this from day one. I'll say it darn near every episode going forward. I am not anti-Hector Breas. I am not anti-Taylor Russell. I have serious issues with what they did. But my concern is for the truth and I'm not going to sit by and let people categorically make statements that cannot be supported Doy and Lopez Romero and Lira have not been consistent they had incentive to lie and again I go back I'm sorry but Go watch The Last Ark and tell me that at any point, Jorge Godoy comes across as a person that you'd ought to trust. Don't believe it for a second. I want to leave you with one thought. I was watching just some YouTube channels with my daughter last night. I was flipping. Um, She has the tendency to... Um, start looking at things, then flipping through channels, which drives me nuts. She's 10, by the way, and and lovely and smart as a whip. 
but so she's flipping through stuff and she comes to something where um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the, the noted astrophysicist, is talking to Stephen Colbert. And I said, hold on, hold on, I'm going to watch that. And Neil deGrasse Tyson says something that I thought was incredibly profound. He said, as our area of knowledge expands, so too does our perimeter of the unknown. And that is very appropriate to this case, too. Every time there is an answer, whether it's a conclusive answer or a subjective answer, the amount of unknown things expands. That's what makes this case and our discussions so fascinating. And it's also what makes them so important. And that's why if people want to make broad statements, Godoy and Lopez had no reason to lie. Godoy and Lopez have always been consistent. Damn it, you got to come at me with more than a platitude. Give me examples. Because I'll come back with examples. I think that's what you who spend your time listening to this want and deserve. And that's what the case deserves. That's what we're trying to do here. Said from day one, let's apply some academic rigor and honesty to these proceedings, to these discussions, to this analysis. Okay. A couple things. And thank you. Again, if, if some of this was repetitious, um, I, I appreciate your indulgence. A couple of things. Number one, the new website is out. It's not 100%. have a few tweaks. But I am really, really, really proud of it. And the amount of information in the case documents is amazing. Okay? There is no place outside the DEA that has more documents, more information about the case than on my website. Promise you that. Guarantee that. So that's number one. Go look at it. I like I say, I'm I'm thrilled, and uh, the people who who put it together for me were just amazing. Number two, the newsletter. It's several people reach out today because I sent it out earlier. Look, the newsletter is a short read. It's a five minute read, but it tells you a little bit of, of some cool things going on with respect to cartels, with respect to the case, with respect to conspiracy theories. Quick, easy read, but it's fun. It's interesting. Also let you know, at least in a shorthanded way, all the other things going on in Mexico and cartels that you may not hear about. Sign up for it. I think you'd love it. Um, the next couple of weeks... Again, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction than I anticipated, but we're going to have a few guests. The next week or two, we're going to have a guest talking about um, the Mexican government's involvement in uh, or relationship with the cartels and how that relates to the Camarena case in particular. We're going to talk to somebody about extradition. Um, got a couple of other things going on where I think we're going to get some some additional um, people to come and talk. I think that'll be really, really good. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. So I appreciate 
each and every one of you for listening every week. And I'll do my best to keep things interesting and entertaining. If you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, please contact me. I look forward to it. Um, I always put the end, my pitch for my book, Someone Had to Die, which I think has a lot of great information in it, as well as Jaime Kirkendall's book. And we will talk to you next week. Have a great week, everyone. God bless.